0: Oh, exactly. I can't be, I can't, I can't be wasting time on, on the number of brothers in Karamazov. No, no, no. <laughs> we have shit to do. I've got stuff to get through.
1: Hello, Bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favourite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to business strategist Liz Scully, about a business book now before you say to yourself self how could a business book be the best book ever let me assure you I already had that argument with Liz it took her about three seconds to convince me that lingo by Jeffrey Shaw is so much more than a business book it's about psychology why we buy who we are and who we think we are But to be completely honest, Liz is so much fun that she could convince me that the phone book is the best book ever. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the Best
0: Book Ever podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I have to start off with the question of your reading life. And my listeners know that I make a very big deal that reading is not a competitive sport. And so I intentionally do not ask my guests, how many books they read in a year, because I never want anyone to feel sh- either either side of it, shamed or intimidated. I don't want the listeners to feel like, oh my God, people read so much more than me, because that is not the point of reading. However, <laughs> as you and I started to sort of get to know each other, you told me in our initial notes that you read 500 books a year. And I'm a really big reader, and a lot of my friends are very big readers. I have never heard a number like that, ever. So I really want to know about your reading life. First of all, how the hell do you do this?
0: Audiobooks. That's the key. Audiobooks. And I listen considerably faster than one. I listen to most books at 2.3. Which oh, my for me, God. I know it's super fast. I mean, I built up to that. I mean, I didn't just go, hey, they, I, you could listen faster. Maybe if they sound like chipmunks, that'll be great. But <laughs> I, I built up over time. And for me, I find that because it's so fast, I have to really concentrate. And that means that I retain the information a lot better.
1: Well, so if you're concentrating that hard, you're not you're not a, a lot of people listen to um uh, audiobooks when they're going about their daily work tasks. Um, I, I Do you just sit and listen or do you have it on his background all the time as you're working?
0: Well, it's true that if I'm not actually speaking to someone else, I'm probably listening to an audiobook at all times. Um, but let, let, let me roll back to how this happened. So I used to be a voracious reader, but a normal reader, a reader <laughs> who read with her eyes and got through maybe on a good week I might get through two or three books, right? But it was a perfectly normal amount of books for someone who likes reading. And about four and a half years ago, I got an ear infection and, um, I didn't even know this was possible, but my ear infection eventually went on for so long, which was two and a half years that it, it affected my balance. So I fell over about every 20 minutes and I went partially blind and, um, So I couldn't look at anything visual. Now, I worked in the film industry for 20 years. So not to be able to look at art or animation or film or dance or any of those things. And if you take that out of your life, you have an awful lot of time. And to begin with, I had to keep my head totally still for about a month, which meant that for eight to 10 hours a day, I was sitting there trying not to be ill from the fact that it was like being very, very drunk. For, for six to seven months. It was horrible. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Proper vertigo, which is what this was, you know, the full-on, not like kind of, oh, I feel a bit dizzy. It was like that all the time. Mm-hmm. And during that period, I, I went from, I listened to the odd audiobook now and again, to this is my only entertainment.
1: And then you built up to the chipmunk
0: speed. <laughs> exactly. To be fair, there are apps that will, that will remove the high-pitchedness And things Mm -hmm. like Audible have now got that built in. So so people sound a tiny bit faster. And I have, as I'm sure you do, I have lots of writer friends who have read their own work on audiobooks. And normal talking speed is 1.3 for most people. They tell you to slow down by at least a third. Mm -hmm. So to get up to a conversational speed is 1.3. So that's kind of where I started. And then I thought, well, maybe try 1.4. And, um, and because I, have always, like, I had always said to myself, wouldn't it be great if you had a whole year where you could just read, be very careful what you wish for, because <laughs> I got that, but I also couldn't stand up for more than 20 minutes at a yes. time. It was horrendous. But I did, get through, like, I did get through a lot of books. And now I'm used to this speed of being able to absorb information. So from the moment I wake up, to, to my first client call, I am listening to books. If I'm you know, in the bath or cooking or doing anything, I am absorbing information. And um, because I can now get so many, um, I can read a book very quickly. I can read round a topic really quickly. If I say I was reading about, I don't know, the latest information about uh, um, company culture, or at the moment I'm reading about the history of Germany just after the Second World War, and because I could read the books really quickly, instead of thinking, good God, it's 40 hours and I could use it as a coffee table. Now I can, I can read maybe four or five of those books. And within three or four days, I've got this immense piece of information and then I can start reading fiction around it and then I can start. And if a client mentions that they've read a book, um, you know, that it's really helping them and everything's great and I can think, oh, I've never heard of that. But the next time I speak to them, I will have read it. It's like, it's like magic. Do you, what's your recall like? Do you
1: retain the information from that many books?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, although occasionally there's that kind of vague feeling, oh, yeah, no, I read something like that. But I have almost, not quite, but I have almost um, perfect memory anyway. Okay. Um, not not quite. Sedetic memory is is when we think of it as that as that absolute picture perfect memory. Mine's kind of a subpar to of that. But um, normally, what happens is if I get fuzzy about a book, I'll think, "Oh, it was the one with the red cover, and that uh, it had a had a serif font on it." And I can I can scroll back. I know it's weird. Um, I think it's because I used to be an animator and I used to be used to go to art school. I think in color, so I'll go back to my library and go, "Oh yeah, that no, was that one." Do you
1: know, I didn't think, what did you call it? Aesthetic memory? Aesthetic. I've never thought of that type of memory. I always thought it was exclusively
0: visual. I didn't know it was also uh, oral. So there's several types of memory, but um, aesthetic memory is, um, you know, when you can, you can think, I read it. Okay, I read it in a textbook and it was on the left-hand page and it was a photograph. It was kind of, that's eidetic memory. So it's a form of visual memory, but it's it's about how the information was arranged. And it turns out that I can link the information I'm absorbing. And because it's so fast, I really have to concentrate on it. It does mean that if I miss something, if the doorbell goes or, you know, someone tries to deliver something, I'll be like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea. So I'm, I'm pretty good on the, on the, the rewind button. Um, and, but it's also really lovely when you go to sleep, because it's a really childlike feeling to lie in the dark yes. and have someone tell you a story.
1: So you mentioned uh, business books and a history of Germany books. So does that mean you tend to stick to nonfiction when you're listening to audiobooks? um
0: no that's that's just this week really oh, to be okay. honest i just happened to be on a history of germany book um book kick but i read probably maybe 60% fiction books um business books lots of lots of history books um but often the fiction books i read are historical so a historical crime novel or uh, something that is based around something which at the moment having simply absorbed a huge amount of information about the 50s and 60s in Germany, I suspect I will be moving towards a um, <laughs> killers and crime in the 50s and 60s in Germany. Hmm.
1: And, like, <laughs> oh, oh, you just got a good idea, didn't you? <laughs> and so this is not for any particular research or anything. This is just you're completely a mood reader when it comes to that type of reading.
0: Absolutely. And I read, um, I'm read. i Jewish, so I read a lot about the Holocaust. And um, with a conversation with my sister recently, I realised that I knew a lot about like the 30s in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I knew a lot, so the causes of the Holocaust, I knew a lot about. And I knew a lot about like, the formation of Israel and the dispossessed people. I didn't know much about just average Germans and how they dealt with the post-war stuff. And um, I found a particularly good book on it. And so I have been... And again, it's one of those books that's like, I can't wait to talk to my sister about it because we've had conversations about it. What's it called? It's called Aftermath by Harold, um, I want to say Jana or Hana? doesn't sound very German, does it? Um, I'll, I'll um, send you the exact words. It's wonderful. It's really, really interesting. And it's about specifically... How people felt in Berlin as the city crumbled and as the war ended and then how it picked up. The city was divided, how it fitted together. The reunification It's fascinating. Really is.
1: That's so interesting because on first glance, you would think um, that could be very dry or dull recitation of facts. But the way you're describing it, the way you're so lit up makes me think this is a this is a well-told tale.
0: It is a world hotel and it's full of little stories which I think is is vital to, to anything like short stories that are built into the main stuff. It's a little dry, it's a little academic. the mm. um, narrator is obviously has obviously been picked because um, he's very good at German pronunciation or he is to my English ears um, but the, the the whole information is so interesting and for me as potentially it is for you and definitely for some of your listeners that new information that filling a block of, you know, I knew nothing about this. It's fascinating.
1: I love that. I love that feeling of realizing how little you know about something. And then my first thought is always, I get to learn
0: all of this now. (laughs) Exactly. And then there's all those things where you think, I didn't even know I didn't know about this. Right, right. It never even occurred to me.
1: (laughs) I know that exact feeling, and I love it. Do you finish books you dislike, or are you very good about? Um, no,pe not enough time. Let's move on.
0: Um, I, I used to always slog through them, um, mm. and then I realized I didn't have to. <laughs> I just I was like, oh, "Wait, there's no rule. I could just stop." And um, I, if we have time, if I have a, if I have a moment, I actually had an, <laughs> an existential crisis about finishing books once. There is this massive, a very beautiful bookshop in. Oxford in the UK called Blackwell's that is it's it's amazing you go in it looks like a sort of little Tudor building looks like a normal sized bookshop but it's one of the main academic bookshops and what you don't realize when you go in is that if you go downstairs they have hollowed out under the road and there are three stories of just every book you've ever seen in, in incredibly obscure things like molecular biology in all of its forms, all of its textbooks, all of its history books. And I thought, well, look, stairs, went downstairs. And then from from the stairs, you can see across three stories going down. And I looked at all of this and thought, I am never going to read all of these books. And that was the point that I thought, wow, I have to be really picky. Otherwise, I will be reading through the history of macrobiology
1: that's that there's anything wrong with macrobiology we love you people who like it we just don't <laughs> want to read it it's fine
0: <laughs> exactly you've got to be you've got to be selective. um yes yeah I think it's really important are you are you a, a plow through to the end no
1: no absolutely not as soon as I got out of college I stopped that and and it was always my thing and then after college I thought I'm never reading anything again unless I I have to be looking forward to it and I am I am adamant about that and and I don't think it's a criticism of the book because so many times I have started a book and disliked it and then started it again 10 years later and gone oh this book is fantastic it was not the right time when I was 20 or 30. Absolutely,
0: Absolutely. and I also for me I give people um I give a book about two hours mm. um obviously for me, for me that's about 20 minutes but um <laughs> I give I give people two hours and if you haven't grabbed me in two hours yeah
1: yeah no it's no. not for me. It's fine. No, yeah. Three, 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 three. Yeah. That is so fascinating. So were you always a reader, even as a kid?
0: Absolutely. And I come from a family of readers. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom used to get uh, eight books from the library every two weeks. And um that, that was the most you could get. And if she if she read through them quickly, she would um She would go back weekly or every three or four days. So, yes, there was always this expectation we would read and that if something is new or unusual or dangerous in your life, the first thing you do is, oh, there's probably a book on this. I can probably probably fix whatever it is if I just read enough. (laughs) It doesn't work.
1: (laughs) I know this precisely. I better read about this so I can figure it out. I know that exact feeling.
0: Exactly. What's it? My leg's falling off. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. There's plenty of book like that.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. For more information on how to support this podcast, check out my Patreon. For about the cost of a latte, you can have access to all sorts of extra goodies. Every week you'll get exclusive interview clips with my guests that are only available to patrons. I also send out advance notice of the books we discuss, curated reading lists, my monthly reading wrap-ups including The Good, The Bad, and The DNFs, and essays about the reading life. Go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash best book ever to learn more about how you can help me keep the candles burning over here in my reading cave. Now back to the show. Tell me how you initially found Lingo. Hmm,
0: how did I find Lingo? So I, I've read other books. You know how you know how authors often sort of go, go in gangs? That yes. Um, So that they're all kind of connected. Maybe they've spoken on each other's stages. Maybe they know each other. And I think it was recommended to me by someone I I, I quite often I do quite a lot of talks. And it was somebody who said, oh, you should read this. And I loved it from the get go. Jeffrey is a photographer and he talks about how he improved his photography business by learning the lingo of his clients. And in my work, I'm a a business strategist. In my work, I spend a huge amount of time trying to convince people to find out more about their clients. The more you research, the more you understand people, the more you can help people feel seen and heard and empathised with, the more they will turn up and think, OK, this is the right place. I am in the right place. But also you will um, reflect away the people who aren't a good fit for you. And... In entrepreneurial circles, there are an awful lot of books that talk about this, but they are very dry. And most of my clients, before we before we work together, they're like, "Oh, I don't like. It's called avatar research. I don't like avatar research. It's a pain. I'm not interested." And it's your ideal client, your ideal reader, your ideal listener. And I feel that's that's kind of a bit rude, frankly. Like if you if you are having the temerity to assume that someone else is going to be interested in what you do. You, the very least thing you could do is be interested in what is going to interest them, attract the right people. And what I love about Lingo is he talks about, don't just understand them in a kind of, oh, they're a 35-year-old woman who's got two degrees and a small dog. You want to go a lot deeper than that. You want to really think about how they think about the brands and the things they buy but although this is basically a business book the reason I wanted us to talk about it is I think it's just a psychology book it's about how stories are told about how we attract the people into us how we make people feel welcome so his main thesis is that if you want to attract a certain type of people then you want to know what attracts them. So in his case, he, he, he was doing fairly low rent photography studio work, and he wanted to go very upmarket. So that wasn't a world he understood at all. He went to New York, Bergdorf, Goodman, sorry, it's hard to say, <laughs> um, and he went to, he went to buy something. I and mean, he could only afford like a tiny little candle, but he went to understand. What the language of the people that he wanted to work with was. So they were the sort of people who would be shopping in Barney's and shopping in Bergdorf's and buying that kind of environment. And what he learned was there's no there's no prices anywhere. It's people's names, cash registers. On. It's not like Target where they've got a you know, a blue a blue special on. Um, everything is very discreet. When you want to buy something, you have to stop someone, and they will take you to a very discreet little corner where 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 the the, the sort of messy money will be very discreetly dealt with. So that kind of stuff. So he looked at that and thought, "Huh, oh, my pricing, which was, in his case, was, was very kind of $34.95. And he's like, oh, yeah, that, that's not this. These people aren't going to be drawn to that. So he's retrofitting it. But one of the things that really stuck in my mind about the book is he. they asked him if he would like his tiny little candle gift wrapped. Now, that alone says, you, says something because – they, like most shops wouldn't necessarily do that. Here are you, the nasty little $16 buy. Okay, so they treat everybody at the same level. He's taken to the gift wrapping section and the person in the gift, wrap, gift wrapping explains, because he's very kind, he's very charming, and they explain what, you know, how gift wrapping for rich people is done. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> she, she, she stops, she stops him and goes, this is the most important thing. Like apart, apart from using lots of tissue paper in a beautiful box, it's like you must not use any tape. And he's like, "What now?" <laughs> and he he says he comes from a family that uh, gaffer tapes and, and yes. uses like just <laughs> just I, wrapping is not a big thing. But for these people, the the presentation is super important. Quality is important, and they will unwrap it and check it before they send it. I and mean, they can't do that if there's tape on the tissue paper. And he thought, uh, okay, this is a different language. So he's very specifically thinking about positioning and how you fit it together and the the story that other people are telling. But I'm seeing it as a kind of make people feel they're in the right place. When you first told me that this was your favorite, I resisted a
1: little bit. And I said, oh, this is a business book. I'm not sure too many people would be interested in reading this, and you countered with that, that you found the psychology so fascinating. And I'm curious, does it change, did reading this book, aside from the business aspects of it, which I am, I am curious to know about that as well, but aside from the business aspects, did this book change how you are a consumer or how you look at the places where you shop or the people you patronize?
0: Oh, that's a, Fascinating. I, I don't think so because I was already doing this. Okay. So this was something you were familiar with. Yes. I wasn't doing it in exactly this way. So I, 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 for me, one of the things that's interesting about a book is when it takes something you're kind of doing and you're kind of knowing and it looks at it from a slightly different angle. And you're like, oh, I've done that my whole life. I had no idea I was doing that. And um, I mean, I trained, uh, as I said, I trained as an animator, but my very first degree is as a silversmith. So um, I was always in this weird position of this sort of grubby little workshop um, (laughs) mole making beautiful things. But where they're sold are places like Bergdorf's and Barney's. So I was always aware of that difference. For instance, if you if you make a ring for someone and I, I show it to you, the clients could never appreciate what it looked like if I hadn't done the final polish. So I'm thinking, it's really obvious what it looks like. And they're like, but it's not shiny. I don't know. I'm like, oh, really? This is exactly what he's talking about. So even back then, I was thinking about it. And it's it's the way we present ourselves. It's the same way um, you know, a parent will say, sit up straight and wash your hair before you go out to, a, to an interview. It's the same thing. And it's also the way we will make people feel relaxed by coming into our home, by inviting people in so that. Yes, it's our space, but it's set up so that there's somewhere for them to sit and no, 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 take, you don't have to take shoes off. We do, but you don't. All of that stuff. I For me, this is all connected in the same area of making people feel relaxed and together. And it's the same for all of us about all the time. So, yes, it's how we make the decisions, but it's also how we signal to other people that they can make the decision to, to join with you in some way.
1: Have you seen The Devil Wears Prada?
0: I have many years ago.
1: Do you remember that scene by chance? It's kind of a famous scene. Otherwise, I would n- not bring this up. But there's that scene about the blue sweater where Meryl oh, Streep yes. does that rant about, you think you had all the control. And the people in this room picked that sweater for you five years ago. And I thought about that scene a lot as I was reading this, because as much as I enjoyed it from the point of view of my business and the much as I enjoyed thinking, this is a great way to communicate X, Y, Z to the people I am working with. I also do not like being thought of as a consumer, even though I am a hundred percent a consumer all the time. I buy shit all day long. (laughs) And I, it does make you realize I am a product all day long. And the things that I buy, it's only because. Someone got in my head, which is a little bit off putting. Do you think, or is that just me being too sensitive?
0: But I think that's maybe just because no one likes to feel manipulated. Yes. Whereas I think there is a difference between manipulating, which is slyly tricking you into buying something, and that feeling of, oh, that shirt. That's my kind of show. And we've all had that experience, I hope we have, where you go and try some clothes on and it looks like you already owned it. It's (laughs) such a perfect fit for you. Yes, That's what we're looking at branding-wise, that the right people will look at it and go, oh, you're one of us. The same way as we were talking before we started recording about book people are interested in what other people are reading. They're, they're interested in books. They notice what other people are reading on public transport. That's not tricking people. That's just something that we're already doing. And it's this is where you're opening them up going, look, I'm like you. I
1: see what you're saying. So like when I see someone who is reading one of my favorite books, my thought is it's not that they're trying to reel me in. It is that, oh, it's a it's a kindred
0: spirit. Exactly. It's one of us. And also, I bet you're also you have to hold yourself back from going, what do you think?
1: Yes. The the thing one of the things I flagged, which I thought kind of blew me away, was the talk about the steak where he talks about when he goes to a very, very high end restaurant and orders a steak. And all it says is three, five, no dollar sign, no period, no decimal point, no cents. It just says, you know, a steak, three, five, thirty five. And then he goes to a mid-level restaurant, and it will say dollar sign thirty-five decimal zero zero. And he thinks, "Oh, that makes sense at this mid-level restaurant." And then he goes to a cheap restaurant, and the steak is dollar sign thirty-four point ninety-nine, which is perfect at a at a cheap restaurant. Which, by the way, don't ever order a steak at a cheap restaurant. Come on,
0: we <laughs> so all know
1: be- <laughs> we all know better than this. <laughs> but i was really struck by that because of that thought because i thought it's uh, i would order a $35 steak at a nice restaurant no problem i would never order a $35 steak at a denny's ever that's the worst decision you can make and it's it's a penny difference and so that's where i really started thinking is the environment means so much and the environment convinces me that the steak is means one thing at this restaurant and something else at this restaurant. And I'm very, very susceptible to it, evidently.
0: But we all are. That's, yeah. It's human to feel like that. That's semiotics. There, there is an entire tedious branch of French philosophy on exactly this area, which obviously, as an art school graduate... I have read. Sh- uh, voice. Uh, you've read books about this, I'm sure. <laughs> with my eyes that long ago, <laughs> such a long time ago. Um, but I feel if I saw 34 dollars in a Denny's, actually, it doesn't even matter what the price was in Denny's. I'd assume it was some really low grade steak that they had charred in the back and, yes. and were trying to make into a fancy steak. So it's all <laughs> to do with that environment and the way we the way we live and, and for me some of this as well as a, like a lifelong interest in what persuades us and what doesn't is the work I did in film was I built I worked in visual effects and I built cities and environments and spaces and quite often those spaces would have to be during daylight uh, for the for the positive uplifting part of the film and then on fire at night with the evil red light for the scary bit at the end. And so all of that, this is one space, but we can we can change this. And the lighting and the ambience, all of that can make it either a threatening space or a small space or a big space. And this is that, but done with story and pricing and colour. It's fascin- fascinating.
1: Do you outright recognise it when you shop? Do you, for example, look at a candle and think, Oh, they're charging me twenty five dollars because that's what this store is. I'm gonna go. Like, are you stepped back enough that you can really see them speaking the language to you?
0: Sometimes it depends mm-hmm. what they're selling me. With a candle, yes. With stationery, oh no, I'm all in. Like at that point, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. It's beautiful. Sell yes. me the thirty dollar uh, yeah. pencil. I'm it fine. Makes
1: perfect sense. No, I a hundred percent understand that. <laughs>
0: But there's a, there's a part in, I don't know if you remember, there was a Sex in the City um, episode, you know, back in the day where she goes to buy uh, knockoff handbags, you know, knockoff Prada and mm-hmm. like fancy big name. But and she sees her friend with it in a beautiful cocktail frock. And it's like, I want one of those. And she goes to buy them and it's from the back of a car in some horrible area of New York. And she's like, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to buy it from here. And I've had that. I've gone to, say, TK Maxx or one of those equivalents. Where, and I thought, oh, if I'm going to spend a lot of money on a piece of designer stuff, I want to strut straight into Prada. Think, I can't believe I'm doing this. Plunk down my money and get all of the tissue paper in a nice bag and all <laughs> that stuff. And then to take it home going, oh, I've just spent two hundred dollars on a T-shirt. What am I thinking? But I <laughs> want that. Right. And that's a choice. That's my awareness of what I'm getting. In my mind, I've probably, although I have ever spent $200 on the prop, but I aspire to that. I hasten exactly. to add. Um, but in my mind, I've probably rationalized it with, well, it's, you know, this way, buying it from the shop, it's probably not a knockoff. It's probably authentic. Is it? Who knows? We've all seen those documentaries where they go, oh, you know, 35% of the stuff in the real shops is very dubious. Anyway, it's, you're buying that space. You're buying that feeling. And, and that's, that's why designer stuff often is very expensive because you're buying all of that packaging. You're also buying every one of the designers' runway shows. You're buying their process. You're buying that beautiful quality. You're buying the years they spent at art school, the years they spent with a big team of people flouncing about coffee shops in Milan thinking, oh yeah, no, maybe aquamarine mm. is this, this season's colour. You're mm. buying and paying for that. And obviously, I'm the sort of consumer that wants to feel I am honouring designers and I'm honouring all of that work. Whereas I feel, I feel if I'm buying remaindered stock in some, in some retail outlet somewhere, I, although it's the same stuff, I don't feel I'm doing that. And may I ask you a question? Yes, please do. So apart, apart from feeling duped by the, <laughs> by the entire marketing world, Did you actually
1: enjoy the book? I really did. And I really tried to think of it because you said that it was not niche for business, that it really is about psychology. I really started to think about, you know, not just, I I tried to take it out of retail, which people do I like to be around? And why do I like to be around them? What makes me feel like they are my people? Most of the time it's because they're reading a book I like. (laughs) Which I mean, in a sense, that's kind of marketing ourselves, right? Is is by we are projecting through a lot of things we do who we are to the world, and so I, I that was why I enjoyed it because I really tried to take it out of the business and think about it in terms of psychology of living our everyday life.
0: Completely. And this is why personal branding is important. not just in business, but in life. And it's there for everything. Exactly. That kind of the clothes we wear, they tell Mm. other people the sort of person we are. You know, you look at someone who's dressed like an aging rocker. We think we know a lot about that person because of that. Whereas obviously they could be any sort of person, but they've chosen to dress themselves like that.
1: Okay. So my question is if you're at a party are you going to go talk to the aging rock
0: star? Oh, good question. It would depend. If it's a, if it's a party full of aging rock stars, then yes, I'm straight over there. So <laughs> tell me what. But also, it, it would depend. I mean, imagine you go to a party and the aging rock star is somebody's dad. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, that's a slightly different deal from... Um. Everybody. Everybody looks like whatever normal is in this case. And there's one person that looks like they have just staggered off stage with a cap. So, what's your side? And to be honest, yeah, I probably would. Yeah. And um, but of course, if he's actually full on aging rock star, he's going to be face down in some cocaine and, and slugging a beer at the same time. So, see that like we make assumptions about people continually. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm, would you? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Particularly, the more out of place he is, the more likely I'm going to go over and say hi, for sure, because I want to know that story. Why are you dressed like this at a funeral? This is (laughs) fascinating to me. (laughs) I, in fact, I once went to a funeral and there was a man there in full on Elvis Presley regalia, the scarf, the hair, the glasses. It was magical. I was with him the entire time because I immediately went over and went, I really need to hear your story. You got, you got a
0: gig after this? It yes. was like, Elvis' I, funeral? I mean,
1: it was that fantastic. Feel? He left and he took his scarf off and he wrapped it around my neck and went,
0: see you soon, baby. That is a funeral to conjure with.
1: Do you recommend, I know you are a, a business strategist. Do you recommend this book, Lingo, outside of your actual work?
0: um and it's a terrible revelation almost my entire life is my work like most people who are my friends and my colleagues are also entrepreneurs but I do know a few lay people uh, people people who are not sucked into the oh maybe I should run a business um although to be fair if you sit next to me for long enough I will have convinced you that you want to run a business oh, no you do you'd be great Um, so yes, I do. And part of why I give it to clients is that it's stuff I've talked about and that would be helpful for them. But I think uh, particularly after this conversation, I think I will force it on even more people. And I must know someone who doesn't have a business. Surely there must be someone. Come on. I must know someone.
1: (laughs) So tell me what you're reading right
0: now. So I'm I'm reading that book on Germany. Mm-hmm. I have uh, just reread Lingo this morning, so I've now read it three times. This is exceptional. Okay. And, um, I'm I've got I've, I started reading a book about the filming of All About Eve, the <sighs> the film. But I have to say, it wasn't a great book, so I abandoned yeah. it. I know I was very upset about the whole thing because I don't know about you, but I have books that that are just the next to read, and then there's ones that. I sort of look forward to. They're, they're like dessert after a difficult book. And I had saved this book, and I got about I don't know, three or four chapters in, and I'm like, "This is rubbish!" And I felt so outraged. Like i been uh, sh- for the whole thing. How dare they not to be interested?
1: That is rude. Are you are are you reading it just because you're a fan of the movie?
0: Uh, yes, exactly. Also, I'm, I'm I'm writing. I'm writing my first book actually, which is um, about. Um, the things things i learned in film that are useful for entrepreneurs i'm i'm normally reading a memoir um some kind of non-fiction business slash history book and uh, a fiction book but i haven't quite locked on to my next one but got it what are, what are you reading
1: i am in the middle of a book called uh, dear edward by Anne napolitano which is normally the type of book where I would say, no, 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 not for me, because it is about a plane crash with one survivor, a little boy. He was on the plane with his parents and brother and everybody else died except this little boy. And so it's alternating chapters of the plane ride where we're getting to know all of the other passengers, which is unfair because this plane's going to crash pretty soon. It's Very upsetting. And then the little boy (laughs) as he goes on with his life after the crash and, you know, he's obviously a mess and, and it is interestingly, I have never once listened to a book on higher speed because I normally can't stand that but I my heart pounds so hard every time I listen to it at night, like when I'm doing my nighttime chores and my heart is pounding and I need to hear the end of this book. So I do have it on 1.5, which is brand new for me. I've never done that before, but I have to get to the end of this book. But I also don't want to get to the end of it because it is going to be
0: terrible. <laughs> I love that feeling of, of wanting to know, but but being sad when it's finished as well. It's yes. just best feeling interesting i have been um this last year i've been reading anthony trollope for the first time Mm -hmm. so i worked through the Barsetshire stuff and now i'm on the political novels um which again i would never i'm dyslexic i would never have been able to read them with my eyes like the traditional way of reading but now i like 23 hours for me that's 10 i can get through that's that's two days reading that's not a problem um and I know it's the wrong way to think about it, but it means that I've absorbed a whole bunch of the great Victorian novels yes. in ways that I've, I've read well, maybe a third of Dickens in the last few years as well. The same thing. I've, I've read one Dickens up until I lost my sight. Um, but also my sight is fine, I should say. like I, I, can, I can see totally fine. Everything is great. The thing that's continued is this listening to books um and that's lovely and for me I'm the same I I kind of takes a while to sink into a big Victorian novel for me mm. but once you're in there I can kind of keep going so it's like it's like I don't know marathon running or going to the gym every day am like, right that's it I can do another I'm fine but when I haven't done one for ages I'm like oh,
1: really what do you, do you ever pick up a paper book anymore or is that are those too slow for you
0: I do so yeah exactly I do but um I can't I can't speed up the internal reading voice in my yes. own head yes <laughs> that's yes. stuck at you know one-to-one and it's quite tedious so I will only read um the books that I absolutely can't get on audiobook um and then I am very lightweight I will only read very thin books now because um. also my eyes still get quite tired I'm kind of yeah. out of out of um fitness for long reading periods yes um yeah, in my in my world, everything would eventually be on audiobook. And also, having been quasi-blind for a while, I realised how important, what a great game. I mean, if I hadn't had those audiobooks, if we'd been back in the books on tape days, mm-hmm. um, I was living in Guatemala and Budapest, and I'm, I'm normally nomadic. right? So I couldn't have been travelling with suitcases full of books on tape. Right. Tape? No. Right.
1: I remember getting those from the library, those big folded plastic things, and it would have 15 cassette tapes inside. And-
0: yeah, absolutely. I remember trying to get through um, Swan's Way, they were from the remem- Remembrance of Things Past. And it was something like 27 tapes. 27? No! I mean, it was just I mean, logistically, it was quite a lot. And occasionally you'd turn something, I don't remember you had to turn over tapes, you'd yes. turn something over and think, hang on. I was yes. on chapter seventeen. What? Like what's what's happened? The wrong, horrible. Yeah.
1: Whereas now,
0: it's all one. They're, they're often the classics are read by fantastic narrators, really good actors. Um, so for me, it's helped me get through stuff I would never have been able to attempt. I feel like a little pony that's that's doing like massive show jumps where before I'd have just been trotting along reading, you know, much more simple stuff.
1: Yeah, there's something about audio that makes. Books that we think, and it's weird that we think books are intimidating. Anyway, they're just words. Like I don't know why certain books frighten me. It's what's it gonna do? Stab me? No, it's a book. But for some reason, I look. And you at, can stop as well. Yes, if you don't like it. But I look at Anna Karenina, and I think that is too hard for me, which is a crazy thing to think. But there's something about audio that it, it, it's it's someone telling you a story. And I don't know what it does to my brain, but it makes me feel like I'm not the one figuring this out. Someone who has figured it out is now telling me the story. And it removes a level for me. I don't know if you have that experience.
0: Absolutely. And also, of course, the, the performance of the of the actor who is is reading it makes all the difference. But... Um, I don't know whether it's because of my dyslexia or whether it's like simple user error. I have difficulty sometimes remembering names. Mm-hmm. So in crime fiction, it can be difficult. I'm like, what? Who? <laughs> like, you've just revealed who it is. I don't actually know who that person is. And of course, on an audiobook, you can't flick back and go, oh, it's the brother. Oh, I see. Yes. But I remember years ago, again, books on type, I used to listen to, I, was, I tried to read The Brothers Karamazov because I thought I should read some Russian stuff. And as I'm sure you know, Russian novels, everyone has three names. There's their real name and their patronymic and then their um, their, their sort of nickname. And I was so confused in that book. I thought yeah. there were two Brothers Caravans, three of them. <laughs> I, at the end, I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, how can there be? And so at some point I will go back. I've, I've actually been looking at it recently thinking, well, can I do that? Because that is a very, as one of my, one of my copywriter friends said, it's a very high fibre book the whole yes
1: that's perfect high fiber perfect so but yeah the same with Anna Karenina I've never read
0: it I I probably should it's on my list it's
1: a long list yeah it's a long list and I don't know why that book is is my uh that's my white whale of books I just I want to have read it but I'm 52 years old and I have never been able to bring myself to read it I don't know what my problem is I have such a mental block but you know what I'm gonna try it on audio that's the answer
0: um, and there's a wonderful version by um read by Maggie Gillenhall, which is Ooh, the one, I love I, one her. that's the one I've got my eyes on. But I'm like, after my brother's Karamazov <laughs> fiasco, yes. I feel yes. I might have an ounce there if need be. There's, there's, <laughs> my my mum had very bad eyesight. She um she used to read those large print books. Yes. And at the time she was um living in Nigeria because uh, my father used to work, used to be an engineer, used to work in Nigeria. And my sister bought her the large print version. <laughs> the large print version of War and Peace. Oh my god. <laughs> about 15 volumes. And between us we had to drag it out to like, here, you take seven of them. I'll but that's on my list this year as god is my witness anna karellina i will start no promises on finishing that and i'm gonna have a bash at war and peace and just i think if i go in thinking i'm not gonna know who anyone is at any point right just name confusion that's fine i I think i can go along because i mean there's got to be a reason it's a classic surely
1: one would think okay I guarantee you that I'm going to be checking in with you a year from now to see if, see how you got on with these two.
0: But as I said, I have no problem with quitting if I know it. Yes. And as someone who read The Two Brothers Karamazov. That's
1: right. <laughs> and, and let me preface that again with this is an absolutely no shame podcast. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun talking to you. I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about, because who would think that a business strategy book would be so fascinating and give us so much to talk about. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and all of the fascinating work that you do?
0: Uh, Thank you very much. My company is called Rethink Central. So my website is rethinkcentral.com and I've made a special secret page for your listeners. So if you go to best book ever, you will find more information about the work I do and I might slide a little bit of book information in there as well.
1: Excellent, and my listeners cannot see this, but as I'm looking at Liz's workspace, she's got a fantastic sign that says "Evil Coach" behind her, and a lamp that is a some sort of crowned skull. Yep. What am I looking at with this? Well, is that to scare off your clients?
0: <laughs> well, it's more, it's more set dressing for the evil the evil coach side. Got of it. Thing
1: it's it's quite a you have such a contrast going on and this is why it's so fun talking to you because you're so high energy and so friendly and then you've got these just slightly terrifying things behind you that sort of is making me sit up straight the entire time we've been talking
0: <laughs> memento <laughs> mori very important <laughs> which is pretty much what happened to me in that bookshop in oxford <gasps> oh no i <I've> died <laughs> before absorbing all these things maybe that's what it's about i'm just reminding myself i get off there. Okay.
1: I love this. Thank you so much. This was very fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. Remember, I'm looking for guests from all walks of life to tell me about books from all genres. If you have a book you want to talk about, go to juliewroteabook.com and click on the button that says, Be a guest on the best book ever. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.